The NBA officially has a new seven-year CBA and it's bringing some fascinating changes to the league. It's Friday, April 28th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter and this is Front Office Sports Today. The NBA and its Players Association ratified the collective bargaining agreement that the two sides had agreed to previously. We're going to do this countdown style. Here are the five biggest changes in the new CBA. Number five, load management. The NBA is a star-driven game, and sometimes you go to a game and the player or players you are most excited to see are not playing. Ah, uh, no, I don't really feel like it. But I don't understand. It has become commonplace for teams to rest players to keep them fresh, especially teams that know they will be in the playoffs and want them to be as healthy as possible for this time. The league obviously wants their best players on the court as much as possible, so in the new CBA, players have to play in at least 65 games to be eligible for awards like the MVP. I'm guessing that won't make a huge difference, but it might mean a few extra games from guys like Giannis, LeBron, and Steph Curry. Number four, the eligibility age. This would be higher on the list, except there are no new changes in the CBA. The minimum age to enter the NBA was and remains 19. So for most people, that means at least one year of college or perhaps the G League. NBA range, sweet stroke from Bronny. It also means that Bronny James will have to wait at least one more year before entering the NBA and playing with his dad. Number three, cannabis testing is gone. The NBA had already reduced penalties for cannabis use, but in the new CBA, you'll basically have to consume on court to get caught. In an interview on this show, retired NBA players Paul Pierce, Matt Barnes, and Steven Jackson estimated that around 75% of players consumed cannabis during their playing days, and that was when there was testing, and they had to go to elaborate measures to evade detection. They figured it's probably higher now. Number two, investing in NBA and WNBA teams. This is new territory for American sports. Active NBA players will be allowed to invest in NBA and WNBA teams through a private equity firm selected by the NBPA. There are already private equity firms that own minority stakes in NBA teams. Firms are capped at owning 20% of any one team, and one imagines any individual player would only own a small percentage of that 20%, but this still seems to open the door to players playing against teams that they own a stake in. Also, NBA players are now permitted to invest in and promote cannabis companies and to sign non-gambling endorsement deals with sports betting companies, which is good news for people who like oxymorons. And the number one biggest change in the new CBA, the mid-season tournament. We have a very long regular season, and I think the issue becomes, is there a way, sort of what we did with the play-in tournament, where initially there was a lot of resistance to that, and I think the fans and the players have largely accepted it. I mean, not, not that many years yet, but then the question is, if we move to some sort of in-season tournament, is there some something, to your point, it's not just money, but a new tradition that guys care about? That was Commissioner Adam Silver explaining the new concept. Maybe as soon as next year, the NBA will introduce a tournament somewhere in the middle of the season, where the first part would be woven into the regular season so that certain games would count both toward the regular standings and double as the group stage for this tournament, and then there would be a single elimination tournament with the remaining eight teams. The final four would be held at a neutral site with all signs pointing toward Las Vegas, because apparently everything has to happen in Vegas now, and the final, at least, would not count toward the regular season standings. Each member of the winning team would win $500,000. 
There's some new details around NBA contracts, including a second luxury tax to try and rein in owners like Joe Lacob and Steve Ballmer, who care more about wins than money, and some changes to how large an extension players are allowed to sign. Let me know what you think of all these changes at today at frontofficesports.com. Up next, I spoke with motocross and supercross driver Ken Roxon. This is a sport that, whatever you feel about racing sports, is worth looking up some clips on YouTube as an example of one of those insane things that human beings do. We'll have that conversation right after this. Here's what's trending now. You can defer payments of a full NetSuite implementation for six months. 33,000 companies have already upgraded to NetSuite, gaining visibility and control over their financials, inventory, HR, e-commerce, and more. Everything they need to reduce manual processes, boost efficiency, build forecasts, and increase productivity. Whether your business generates millions or hundreds of millions of dollars, take advantage of this special financing offer of no payments or interest for six months at netsuite.com frontoffice. That's netsuite.com slash frontoffice. I am joined now by Supercross racer Ken Roxon. Welcome, Ken. Thank you guys so much for having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, we'll get into to you, your career, your life. First, let's orient our listeners a little bit about like what is Supercross. So I've watched it a little bit. It's like you're racing on motorcycles, right? Over these like custom built dirt paths with lots of jumps and ramps and stuff. Is is that like the a good basic description? Correct, yeah. So um, we ride dirt bikes and um, we get tracks built inside a, could be a baseball or football stadium. And um, yeah, lots of jumps, a uh, lot of action going on, of course. And um, yeah, basically, track made out of dirt and uh yeah we ride fast and we have some uh some great racing going on yeah and how fast do you go during these races um it's really hard to say as we don't have um a speedometer like we, we couldn't ride our motorcycles on a street for example it's not street legal so we don't really have a speedometer and on the supercross side of things so we have supercross and then the the um outdoor tracks which is um what everybody like kind of like the heart of motocross what where motocross was born. And um, so we're not necessarily going that fast, but the the art of our sport is that all these jumps that we're doing are super close together in a row and there's just absolutely no room for error, right? So we have to be uh, really on point with our timing and um, get a lot of variety as we race a different track pretty much every week and we never ride the same track. Oh, wow, that's fascinating. I wanna jump back to that soon, but first let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, how did you get into this stuff? So um, I am actually originally from Germany. That's where I was born. And I lived there until I was about 16, 17 years old. And uh, I started riding when I was two and a half years old. And it was made fairly easy for me because my dad actually had, and he, did, he just did that for fun, but he had a little team going back in the day and I grew up on property. So I actually had the luxury of taking my motorcycle out and just ride on my own track. So uh, that was also the reason why I essentially started so early because it was just super accessible for me. I would say for um for a regular guy or for a regular family to start riding dirt bikes is usually around four to five years old but like i said i had the luxury of just having a track in my backyard so i started extremely early yeah right <laughs> you think four or five would be early enough but yeah i guess you got a head start e even on those folks and um what made you say 
uh, I want to do this professionally. Yeah. So it, honestly, I know that always sounds cheesy, but I feel like it has been in me my entire life. The fact that I was brought into the sport at such a young age, um, my dad never had to force me to ride because I was going through an entire um, gallon of uh, um, or a few gallons of gas in a day, you know, on my own. I just had so much fun with it. And the cool thing was that we did this for fun and then it opened up opportunities of uh, traveling to all different kinds of countries, racing European championship, and then eventually uh, world championship. But at a young age, traveling to entire Europe and going to Brazil to go race, racing is something that um, not a whole lot of kids get to experience. So for whatever reason, we started riding and went from race to race. And it seemed like it was uh, almost a religion for us. That was our thing as a family going every single weekend and you camp out and um, there's a lot of kids around and we were able to play in the dirt, ride bikes all over the place. I mean, I, I couldn't really ask for much more. And was it always bike racing or did you also do some, you know, some car racing as well? Yeah. So um, for me, it was always motorcycle racing. But actually, when I was still in school, I did a, a lot of like Olympic type sports. Like I was doing track running and I would always compete for my school, actually, and, and broke some regional records as well. Um, that was at a younger age. I would say I was probably in around between fifth and eighth grade, I would say. And we really um, thought about potentially go in that direction of, um, you know, doing track running and, and throwing and, and cross country running and all that type of stuff. But my heart was just on dirt bike. So that's what I decided to do. And I did, it didn't really take much to convince my parents either, because I feel like that's what they wanted to do as well. So, um, I was able to pick and choose. I also used to play soccer a little bit, of course, being from Germany. Um, I was never really able to actually do games because that was usually on the weekend and I was gone racing on the weekend, but I did the whole, um, throughout the week, uh, all the practice, the soccer practice, and because uh, it was right down the street also from my house. So I actually was messing around with a lot of different sports that I still love to do. Yeah. And in terms of physical exertion, um, where does supercross and motorcycle racing generally compare to something like track or soccer? Yeah. So that's where it actually gets a little tricky, right? We're racing dirt bikes uh, around all different kinds of dirt, right? And, and, and weather plays a big role. It could be super rainy or it can be really really hot so that makes the job for us of course a lot tougher um we're our main events are about 20 minutes plus one lap long and it is an absolute max heart rate so we have to be super mentally sharp but we have to be fit and strong at the same time and i think that's why um supercross is considered one of the hardest sports there is because it is so intense and we don't we're not secured by a seatbelt or airbags or anything like that and so it's purely you and the dirt bike and every little split decision that you make out there can be very costly right so um, being as fit as you possibly can and as strong as you can will definitely help out in the sport yeah honestly watching it um, I find myself getting nervous because you're exposed <laughs> like it's you know you're not going as fast as a Formula One car but when you're in a car, you've got the car around you. You can bump into another car and you're probably okay. Um, whereas with this, it feels like you could fall off very easily and then you're surrounded by like 20 other motorcycles. And it, it just feels dangerous, honestly. How does it feel to be on the bike? Yeah, I mean, for us, everything we do is is in our muscle memory, right? And, and it almost becomes an instinct. Um, the beauty of it is that the sport is absolutely action-packed. Uh, packed and 
you, there's so much going on, right? Because our motorcycle, they're, you know, fairly small. We have a lot of turns and a lot of obstacles. There's so much room to make passes. So we're pretty much constantly moving, you know, there's always riders shuffling around. So um, I just think as a fan, for example, it just never gets boring because you always have something to watch. And when, when it comes to the riders, like I said, for us, it's, it's instinct. And of course there's always a, um, a certain, danger with it but so is walking across the street and i think we're just uh we're thrill seekers just like a lot of other sports and you get kind of a writer etiquette right to try to not bump into each other at least not in in areas or in the air you know when when you can crash really bad but uh rubbing is racing at the same time there's definitely a lot of bumping going on yeah so is it is in the air when you when you're sort of the most vulnerable or is it kind of everything um, I mean, you're kind of vulnerable, definitely all over the place. But the thing is, in the air, you only really have a certain amount of control, right? Like once you once you jump, um, you want to make sure that where you land is also where you really want to land because that can be really bad, right? On the ground, at least, I can shut off the throttle or or or, or turn on the throttle and um, pick up speed wherever and stop wherever I want to. But in the air, of course, that's not possible. So um, yeah, like I said, for us, it's uh, we we run a lot on instincts. But of course, everybody is also different. We just have to we have to make decisions in a very split split second. So um, um, it's uh, it's an exciting sport. I can tell you that much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and you had some bad injuries in I think twenty seven seven seventeen and eighteen. Um, at any point, did you was part of you saying you know maybe I should think of a different line of work here? Um. Not really, because like I said, this has pretty much been my life and, and that's all I know and, and want to know in a way, right? Like, I don't know. It's, I think everybody is also different. I was able to take a break from the sport because in 2017, I did injure my arm really bad and I had compartment syndrome. So it wasn't even really clear that I was ever going to be able to ride again, never mind racing at the highest level. Um, so I took a little bit of a break and a breather from it because everything was so unknown. We spent time with family and you know, I didn't really start racing until one year later. And, and before I could start riding again was months and months and months and months. So I had a little bit of a break there. But um, once I kind of saw the light at the end of the tunnel, it's like a, a switch flipped in me. And I gave myself basically the hardest version of myself and worked towards my goal of starting to race again. And I hired a full time therapist for two years and did a lot of work on my arm just to be able to get it mobile and, and, and strong enough to really hold on to a dirt bike again. So I think my arm has healed over years, actually. It really did. I mean, I started racing after a year, but I feel like year after year, I could feel my arm getting better and better. And um, I'd say less painful, trying to get a little bit range of motion. And uh, But overall, once I put my mind towards coming back, I, I had fun with it and, and went full speed ahead and left, my, left myself no room to to fail. And I just worked towards my goals and it ended up working out. So I think um, people generally in the, in the U S are getting more interested in racing sports, you know, through the very rapid rise of formula one. Um, what do you think is next for supercross? Um, I mean, for right now, we've made a lot of changes this year. Um, having the supercross championship and you also have the motocross championship which is where everything started and they used to almost be separate platforms but now we create they created the super motocross championship which basically combines both ends and for people that don't know motocross is an outdoor track that is kind of like more out in the woods it's not in a stadium and the lap times are a lot longer and that's how 
riding dirt bikes started. So that'll always be there. So finally they form they joint forces and everybody's pulling on the same string and they created the super motocross championship that will lead into the playoff races, which will be after those two championships. And those are three rounds with hybrid tracks of supercross and motocross, which will be totally new for us and the teams and to really truly have one big championship. So there's going to be a lot on the line and a lot of news. So we have made a lot of changes and uh, yeah, I can't wait to let this year play out and, and see how it all works and, and give feedback and see what we can do to always improve. All right. Very cool. Ken Roxon, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's it for today. If you somehow managed to place a bet on the Knicks winning more playoff rounds than the Milwaukee Bucks, congratulations, but also maybe think of more useful things to do with your time machine because no one in their right mind would have predicted that without just knowing the future. Thanks for listening. We'll see you Monday.